Overdrive. Hello and welcome to Overdrive, a program that plays with cars and transport. I'm David Brown and in this program we have some news stories including the South Australian government to tax electric vehicles. There's an interview with Rob Fraser who drives a new car of old design and he loves it. We have some feedback including a positive approach to us from government and Alan Zervis gives us an overview of another MG but this time it's all electric. And finally, Brian Smith and I take an off-the-wall look at car companies sponsoring sporting teams. You can find more information at drivenmedia.com.au or previous programs are available as podcasts on Spotify or iTunes or you can go to our Facebook page, Overdrive City. So let's start the program with the news. The South Australian government is planning to introduce a new tax on the sale of electric vehicles in a move that has been roundly criticised by opponents who say it puts South Australia at odds with the rest of the world. Governments are well aware that there is a huge tax revenue from the petrol tax, which will not come from electric vehicles. But to tax the purchase of a car that reduces pollution, rather than how much it is used, does not address an overall problem. What politicians have refused to do is introduce a road user charge for all vehicles, a measure that has been strongly supported by many planners, practitioners and academics. One aspect is to lower the tax in off-peak periods, then a user can reduce the amount they have to pay to government by adjusting their travel and reducing peak period volumes. Vehicle manufacturers are offering more and more safety features in cars, but we have to be careful about the terms they use to describe their products. Tesla's autopilot is not a fully autopilot system. The Hyundai Group have announced that they will include a connected car platform in all new models from 2022 onwards. Connected vehicle technology is associated with getting information from other vehicles to help avoid a crash, for example, or information from infrastructure, such as what speed to travel at, to get a green light without stopping. Hyundai appears to focus at the moment on links within the car that combines audio, video and navigational features. This is a good foundation for development to ultimately incorporate data from external sources, but that appears to be further down the track. ANCAP, Australia's vehicle safety advocate, has launched a community awareness campaign focusing on the value of Autonomous Emergency Braking, AEB, and Lane Departure Systems. AEB reduces the risk of rear-end crashes by over 50% and has been attributed to a 27% reduction in fatal crashes. Lane Departure Warning and Lane Keep Assist can reduce head-on and single vehicle crashes by 30%, which is a particular problem in non-urban areas. 66% of all fatalities occur on regional or remote roads. Over two-thirds of all new vehicles sold are now fitted with some form of AEB as standard. But as an average vehicle is 10 years old, it is estimated that just 7% of our 18 million light passenger vehicles are currently fitted with it. The videos that go with the campaign incorporate real-life dash cam footage, 
captured and submitted to ANCAP by everyday Australians. When Toyota released their Prius in Australia in 2001, quite a number of commentators thought that hybrid vehicles were not the way to go. Hybrid models now account for over 24% of Toyota's sales. Electric cars have also been heavily criticised, but Nissan, who builds the world's most popular electric car, the Leaf, is touting the progress of these vehicles. They note that in Europe from July to September this year, sales are up more than 132% on last year. On average, the Leaf's battery capacity has increased by 160% and range by 120%. The number of public charging points in the EU increased from less than 2,400 nine years ago to over 213,000 today. And finally, EV batteries can be repurposed and recycled. 148 batteries helped to create the world's largest energy storage system in Amsterdam in 2018. Not all road safety features are created equal, and the name given to the feature might not help you understand what it does. The standard term for a car that can detect a possible accident and apply the brakes before the driver is Autonomous Emergency Braking, AEB. But car manufacturers have given this feature their own name. Some examples are Pre-Sense Plus, Driving Assistance Plus, Forward Collision Plus, and Active City Stop. Active City Stop is probably the most helpful description because it indicates the system works only in particular locations. Nissan has just announced a new Navara Ute, but not yet for Australia. Their system is defined as intelligent emergency braking. Apparently, Nissan systems have a lot of intelligence. There is also the intelligent driver alertness and intelligent lane intervention although a couple of driver aids appear to be just ordinary, such as their lane departure warning and blind spot warning. And that has been the news. Hey Rob, you've been uh, driving a car that's actually the fourth best-selling car in October. What is it? Well, it was a Land Cruiser, but it was the GXL wagon version, the 70 series. So not the 200 series, but the 70 series, which is all part of the whole group. Yeah, I think they do put them all together. I've got to say that is somewhat anachronistic, isn't it? Oh, look, look, it is. There's a lot of throwback in there. I used to have a, uh, back in the mid-80s, I had a Land Cruiser Sahara, and I swear a lot of the switches are still out of the same parts <laughs> bin because they, they look exactly the same. It's um, It's a beast of a thing. I love it. This is one that is not your modern SUV, that is the pure derivative, almost along the lines of a, uh, you know, in a style, in the, in the era of the Land Rover Defender. Uh, look, a a absolutely. I mean, we've got, we don't even have a screen. We've got the old radio with the optical drive in there. Uh, there's no reversing camera. There's, there's none of that sort of new technology. It does have Bluetooth. I must admit, but your air conditioning controls are the old slide style or the turn knobs, and it's uh, yeah, it's very much a old school. Nothing on the steering wheel at all, no controls whatsoever. Who does it appeal to? And this might well get into you laying on a couch and telling us your life story. I... <laughs> yes, well, yes, it, unfortunately it appeals <laughs> to the likes of me. It's... um. 
very much in the mines and the agricultural, those people that have, you know, the uh, the people that need to go very much into the bush and be reliable. A lot of farmers I know have bought them. They've got a Land Cruiser Ute and they've got one of these as well. Uh, they really are robust and will go pretty much anywhere. I mean, it's, it's got the typical Land Cruiser four-wheel drive system, but it's also got a front and rear diff lock, which is pretty handy, I've got to tell you. This is a case of not wanting to be overburdened with soft luxury features and perhaps not even afraid to scratch it. Is that the the way that you might describe the vehicle? Yeah, it's a utili- utilitarian. Hmm. Is that the right word? Utilitarian. It's a utility vehicle without being a ute. Yeah, without being a modern ute. It doesn't have a macho... A name to it, like Raptor or or things like that, does it? Uh, no, and it doesn't need to. It lets itself talk for itself. It it doesn't look that big, macho, you know, tires or whatever. But it will go places the Raptor can sit on the edge and winch and go. Oh, I'm not going to put my dirty little toes in there. <laughs> it's yours as a troop carrier, was it? No, it was the shorter wagon version. Oh, okay. Yeah. The shorter wagon version. I mean, I've taken it many places over the years, and, and I do love it. It is very much old school, but I have to tell a story. I'd, I thought I'd just duck onto the beach and take some photos, and normally I would, depending upon what it's like, I'd let the tyres down and I'd take a set of Max tracks with me. But I was coming back, and I thought, I'll just quickly duck on, take the photos and hop off. But I didn't realise that it had actually been a lot of wind blowing sand, which was about six foot deep on, you know, 45-plus degree slopes, and where it did bottom out, it was actually... Uh, into a uh, quicksandy type style, you know, with a bit, bit of soft sand on top, but very boggy underneath. And about halfway in, I'm sitting there thinking, oh, I should have brought the Max tracks, and I probably should have let the tyres down. But we just put it in a second, and away we went. And I have to tell you, it just it didn't even blink. Really? Yeah. It really is an awesome four-wheel drive, in the same category as a Jeep Rubicon. And probably with about as much style as an earlier model Jeep that I might more expect from MASH than I might expect from <laughs> a an inner-city dealership. Uh, yeah, very much so. Th- this is a... And I'm, I'm glad they keep it going because, you know, these true old-style four-wheel drives, there is still a market for them. People still love them. You can, you know, accessorise it how you need for the true four-wheel drive driving. Hmm. Um the one thing I would like it to have is a reverse camera. That's that's one thing I would like it to have. The other things like the lane departure and the lane assist and forward collision warning and all those sort of things, to be honest, you can live without. People live without them for many years, and there's a lot of cars that have got all these now, and the road statistics aren't dramatically improved because of them because it all comes down to individual driver skill. But a reversing camera in a car like this it would be handy. No amount of training can help you look through a solid metal box to see what's behind you, um, you know, if things are, are blocked out. Absolutely. We will touch on at a later date, but interestingly, you've been driving a derivative of a, a four-wheel drives to an SUV, the Kia Sorento. We won't go into it in great detail now, but perhaps that's the other end of the pendulum. That's a true four-wheel drive that has morphed over the years into an urban all-wheel drive SUV, aimed very much at the family and providing comfortable and luxury family transport. 
It's it's a diverse category. Rob, lovely to talk to you. Thanks for your time. David, thank you. This is Overdrive across Australia. And this week in our feedback section, there are a few things that are actually looking forward. The New South Wales State Government has arranged an interview for us with the Director of Operations for Transport for New South Wales. It's about the new North Connex motorway and what it means for the broader picture. Now, the director, Howard Collins, has a background in railways starting in the UK. In fact, he has an OBE for his services to the community. But now he is blending together all forms of transport. I will report on that next week. And also next week, our attitude to truck drivers is usually based on our interaction with them on the road. But how they operate is a function of running a business. But if contracts put undue costs and time pressures on drivers then that can result in unhealthy and unsafe situations, no matter how genuine a driver might be. We will talk to the National Road Transport Association about proposals for fairer contracts for freight operators. It's a good move, but maybe not quite enough. You're listening to Overdrive. Alan, last week we talked about a new MG, which was in the form of a traditional car. They've improved the quality and the features to it, as you would expect a new entry into the market. You've just been driving one which is much more of the future. Essentially, it's the same car that we drove last time, but it's battery powered. Not a hint of internal combustion engine to be seen. What size vehicle are we talking about? It's a small to medium SUV, but I think the point is that there's nothing else in Australia like it for the price. What's its capacity? What's its range? Around, or MG claims 263 kilometres, but that could extend with very slow city driving, no air conditioning on and so forth, to 370. So it will depend on very much how you drive it. I guess that moves the driver to be more aware of their power use. Is that how you thought when you drove it? I think so. I think so. But uh, every time I get into an electric car, I want to stick my foot right to the floor. And I think everybody does because the power is so instant. It was a good performer. It felt good. Well, funnily enough, it was brilliant. I absolutely fell in love with it. But as you know, I am a great lover of uh, electric vehicles and, and hybrids. So strong regenerative braking, for example, and did it take you down to stop? Did it have those sorts of features? Not quite. It does have several levels of regenerative braking and also some drive modes as well. It won't quite stop you, so it's not quite on the the same uh, level as, say, Nissan Leaf, for example. But Nissan Leaf is 53,190 on the road. And this is? I'm glad you asked. 43,990, drive away. Drive away. Yeah. So that's a several thousand dollar, $3,000 reduction on the initial price. And Peter Chow, the boss of MG Australia, told us that when the uh, those buyers, the early adopters, when they go into the uh, car sales room to pick up their car, they'll get a nice surprise. Is it going to be on sale now or soon? It's on sale very shortly. And as I say, all of those early adopters will have a, a three around $3,000 price drop. Do you think it will 
enhance the MG brand? Do you think it will take it away from just the bargain basement price image to something that is more modern or, or, or pushing the future directions of cars, not just trying to keep up with the present? I do, I do. And it may even drive other things like electric charging infra infrastructure. I think it's so important and it's one of the things that Australia is badly lacking in. And I think it's got a lot of money behind it that they just may do that. The noise level, I presume, is obviously going to be lower. But is there any significant whirring or does it give you the sense that I love of a, bat a battery car, an electric car, of uh, an element of peace and quiet? It does. It does. So uh, you might recall that uh, Nissan Leaf launch that you and I went to in Melbourne and we were drifting along the highway and it was beautifully quiet and we could have a civilised conversation without even raising our voices. There's very little outside noise, little bit of tyre noise and of course we did get quite enthusiastic in some of these tight bends. It handled that okay uh, and the only time you ever heard a little bit of noise coming into the cabin was on the highway with that normal tyre noise. Mm. No wind noise, though. Room in the back and the boot? It's adequate. It's not a long-distance car. But then no small to medium SUV, in my view, really is. If you want to do a really long trip and you're going to take several people, you're going to take a bigger car. Did they talk about time to recharge? They did. 45 minutes on a uh, what I would call a supercharge, so a high-discharge high charging station, and overnight at home on your normal wall socket. As I've long said, when people go out to buy a car, more often than not, what's in their head is the lifestyle they want to have, not the one they actually have. It looks like the the normal petrol one, so it looks good? It does look good. The blue, uh, and I just can't lay my hands on what the colour's called at the moment, but uh, the blue is peculiar. The blue is particular, I should say, to the EV as are these wheels, which are 17-inch, but still manage to look quite small in my view. Did they talk about the life of the battery? Uh, well, the warranty, and I'm glad you brought that up, the warranty is five years for the car, eight years for the battery, and there's also five years of roadside assist. Now, they said that the battery should outlast the car, and most car makers have told us the same thing. Alan, so you're impressed overall? I'd buy it with my own money, and I don't say that about many cars. Alan, thanks very much for your time. Thanks, David. You're listening to Overdrive. We've heard in the interviews with our good friend Alan Zervis about MG and how they are now A, a Chinese company, but B, rocketing up the market. But they've also done an interesting thing. They've also sponsored cricket. Is this part of embracing the Britishness of the brand? I just admit it is that sort of pyjama game cricket, the real you know, extreme pyjama game of the um, 20 overs, I think it is. And so the Melbourne Stars cricket team. But they're taking that on. And to help me discuss that is Brian Smith. Brian, can we get cultural images like that into sponsorship that will raise a Chinese car to a different level? Well, this this strikes me as so strange that uh, it's weirdly old-fashioned to to spruik that you know our car is sponsoring 
the Big Bash League. And I, I think it's, it's the Women's Big Bash League, which is great, right? But this idea that there's an association between the vehicle and the cricket and the values that, that each represents. Look, I... I don't know that there was such an, an Englishness thing about it so much as MG seeing an increase in the number of people watching women's cricket because it's good to watch and just wanting to get some of that action. Uh, oh, don't you think they might have learned from the Japanese with their Cedric, their Sylvia and other cars of which they copied off BMC cars anyway? The engine uh, from a 120Y would fit pretty straight into a Morris Minor. Mm. It's just it was a hell of a lot better engine, but basically had the sort of similar shapes and, and things about it. You know, perhaps there might not be just a little bit of... Um, I'm not saying they're going to give out cucumber sandwiches. I'm not suggesting that at all, but maybe they might to embrace something. So what, it helps them position themselves or or to, to increase their profile? Who won the AFL? Grand final. No idea. Jeep. <laughs> right? And they <laughs> they beat Ford. <laughs> That's a, the AFL has changed in that case, David. Hyundai, the British Brisbane Lions, they're way out of it. <laughs> and, of course, Ford used to be out of was Geelong. You know, that, that area is Geelong where they used to make something. There was an association there, right? Yeah, because they built cars there. But I, I can't think of anyone shouting out, Jeep has won the AFL in 2020, right? And, and this this whole article is astounding. Jeep comes out on top in AFL sponsorships, but Ford has a great run of exposure in the finals. Do you think there's people watching this who go, hello, what's that? Ford, is that some kind of motor vehicle? I'm in the market for a motor vehicle. Thanks for, for giving me awareness of this brand. So, so what's the game here? I mean, does anyone not know that Jeep makes cars? And, and, and in what way does Jeep's sponsorship of whichever team it was, and I seriously don't know whichever team it was that won that grand final or the flag or whatever it is, what's that relationship? What's the, what's the win-win there? The ability to do this article is the only thing I can think of. Yeah. Why would you want your brand associated with, um, I mean, seriously, AFL players – Rugby union players and rugby league players are not the best role models. Ambassadors. <laughs> Ambassadors, right. Where's the balance there between perhaps hiding for the Monday morning atrocity or the, the, the sort of headlines about uh, who knows what that's gone on afterwards versus the sort of proudly associating yourself with the team? You end up being associated with a moronic hates female sort of thing. I can see this now. I can see this now. Yes, Jeep. You may end up being president. All right. So Jeep, I can see. Ford, I can see. Hyundai, maybe not so much, right? So, you know, I can sort of see, uh, like, Hummer <laughs> or some of these massive utes wanting to, to be associated with some of the teams. But Hyundai, I guess they, they perhaps – they ever get to the point where they, they say to the team, look, actually, look, we'd, we'd rather you didn't play that well. Yeah, we'd rather not be associated with some of your stars. If it's Jeep, you've got to break down regularly, haven't you? <laughs> so, <laughs> if it's Ford, you get up and take your bat and go home. It's on your cruciate ligament or something like that. That's the kind of broken down on the side of the highway. There is an issue that says, among other things, that if you aren't a fan 
of the Tigers or the Cats yeah. at Geelong. I believe the cat. I'm just reading the article here. I don't have any technical background at all. If you are a fan of those, does that mean you avoid the uh, the other cars? Yeah, perhaps. Perhaps you you sort of associate yourself. I mean, earlier we were obviously talking about Holden v Ford just as brands on the racetrack, but perhaps then that you know if you're a Ford fan, you're not allowed to to support, you know, the the other side, the tigers maybe or the lions. They all seem to be animals. So maybe you sort of say, well, look, you know, I have to fit into a lifestyle now. You know, where, where um, Apple and Samsung and, and other big brands are, are selling you a um, basically an environment you live in. You live in their brand, you know, that, uh, you know, then you associate things with it. So, you know, you're in their ecosystem. And so perhaps uh, I'd like to know whether there is any – Jeep's sponsorship of the Tigers may mean that you know, Tigers players or Tigers fans feel that they have to buy a Jeep. They've got to give the players some of their product too. Although there was a case in England, Manchester United got sponsored by Chevrolet and Chevrolet gave them a whole pile of Camaros <laughs> and the players didn't like driving them. So they, they went back to their Land Rover, Range Rovers. Getting back to MG then, this is a smart move because I doubt that the women in the Big Bash League cricket are likely to be on the front page for the reasons that AFL, NRL and other rugby union players would be. So safe ground, maybe. MG goes, well, look, oh. you know, we can, you know, we associate ourselves with something that's, that's nice and, and is going well. And we know these people are not going to be photographed like in the midst of a fight outside a nightclub or exposing themselves on a Friday night. I thought you might have meant that they're going to be reported for things like how they look and whether they're oh, okay. in a gay relationship or something that might take it totally out of the realm of sport. Well, the others take it out of the realm of sport by being illegal activities and drunkenness and, mm. and boorish behaviour. But it could be that MG doesn't clearly understand what they've got themselves in for because they do say here that MG Motors aligns strongly with a brand with a rich heritage of enabling excitement and fun. And, and just to remind us, it's cricket that they've sponsored, right? <laughs> so, yes. so I think, yeah. I think cricket might be going, yeah, we'll take that sponsorship money. Yeah, it's exciting. We'll give you the excitement and the fun. And perhaps halfway through the season, when MG's sort of watching on in their corporate box, yeah. <laughs> as, Someone who's uh, none for 227 and, you know, they're scoring a, a run every four overs or something like that. <laughs> they might go, what, what are we getting out of this? <laughs> Wait, this could change commentating, right? Uh, they're now in the sort of three-cylinder with the broken turbocharger <laughs> role, what have you. I think base model here. Oh, no, no, he's coming out and he's, he is aiming to try and move up to the more higher models. But, oh, no, we're back again. Oh, it's broken down. Actually, you know, if they were really serious about this, they could start spot talking about uh, options and the helmet, you know, could be then associated with some kind of safety gear. Uh, you know, they're putting on the MG airbag helmet oh. now and uh, fitting the MG you know, seat airbag uh, groin protector. Yeah, the box. I was going to ask what you do about the box. Yeah, I hadn't I haven't worked that one right out, you know, what, what the box might be associated with. I think that I think you better do that very carefully, but yeah. But you could do that then, and you know, link it to to the options that you might get with your MG. So you go and you ask for the look. I'd like the helmet that so and so was wearing 
option on my on my vehicle, which which equates to you know say the the rims, the special rims or the or the badging or something like that. But well, here it is. You fit the MG lane departure warning to help you pick up if a ball is swinging away. That's perfect. That's absolutely perfect. And you can see the the, the have the commentators talking. I'm feeling a rumble in the steering wheel. I think that was an, a no ball. <laughs> Left the lane. Put his foot over the line. <laughs> oh, dear. And if he goes to make a run and decides that they shouldn't, well, you really need a reversing camera. And a sound. Beep, beep, beep. <laughs> yeah. Every time he comes back for a run, it should go beep, 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 beep. Well, that parking space is full. <laughs> Have to go around the around the shopping centre again. All right, Brian. I'm sure we've touched on issues that the corporate heads of major organisations will ponder very carefully. Thank you for your time. You're welcome. As Brian Smith here on Overdrive. And this has been Overdrive. My thanks to Rob Fraser, Alan Zervis, Brian Smith and Paul Just for their great help during the program. Overdrive is syndicated across Australia on the Community Radio Network. For more information, go to drivenmedia.com.au or previous programs are available as podcasts on iTunes or Spotify. Or, of course, there's our Facebook site, Overdrive City. I'm David Brown. Thanks for listening.